0: Man, the show's about to start. Welcome to episode two, side one of Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. I hope you are having a good Iron Maiden so far, as best as you can, given the circumstances. On this episode, I'm going to be discussing Iron Maiden's 11th album, the aptly titled Virtual 11. Now, I normally release episodes on Tuesdays. But since this is the month of May, Iron May Den, I want to make it a bit more special and do as much as I can. So I'll cut it right here and get right into it. March 23rd, 1998, Iron Maiden released their final album of the 20th century. It was also their second and final album with singer Blaze Bailey. Like I said, Virtual Eleven. From the opening of the first track, it's obvious that the band has taken a turn back into the direction of a more traditional Iron Maiden sound. I want to note a couple of things before I get into the album. About the cover, it had tie-ins to the soccer uh, football World Cup that was going on in 1998, as well as the fact that they changed the Iron Maiden logo. They took off the extended R, M, and both ends. I do not like that. They kept it that way until the Book of Souls album, when they decided to make All right. The last thing I wanted to note before I get into the music is I've heard before that there's a rumor that Nico did not play on this album because the drumming seems to be pretty pedestrian and plain compared to his usual standards. Is this true? Doubtful. Because if he wasn't playing up to snuff or if he didn't appear to be excited to still be in the band, I'm sure Steve Harris would have probably had him leave the band. He did it to Adrian Smith, so I don't think Nico would be off-limits either. I will say this. Listening to some of the tracks, it does seem like they could have had a basic drummer play a lot of that. But then, say you listen to the Klansman, even though it seems like he isn't doing fills the way he usually does, you can definitely tell that the Nico fills are still in there. That's a funny thing, but I just wanted to mention it to see if anyone had heard it. Or even had ever thought that. Now, I do not know exactly when I first heard this album, except that it was a long time probably after it was released. At least that's what I think. Uh, I always feel bad for Blaze Bailey because he had to be feeling the highest of highs by getting this job as the lead singer of Iron Maiden. But right away, he was also replacing Bruce Dickinson one of, if not the best metal singer of all time. So where I'm sure he felt elation, he had entered into pretty much a no-win situation. The majority of fans didn't accept him simply because he didn't sing like and wasn't Bruce Dickinson. When Rob Halford left Judas Priest, they ended up getting a singer from a Judas Priest cover band, Tim Ripper Owens, and he sounded a lot like Halford. I wonder if Iron Maiden fans would have been more accepting of someone like Michael Kiske of Halloween, as it was rumored that he was in consideration for the band. Now, being an Iron Maiden fan at the time, I do think it would have helped. However, given the circumstances, Blaze did a great job. He entered the band while alternative grunge music had taken over as the popular music and Maiden's brand of metal was on a huge downturn which really affected album sales as much as Maiden replacing singers. It wasn't as if all other metal bands were just out there killing it. It was felt throughout the hard rock scene everywhere. So he had the fact that he was replacing a legend and the whole music scene had been turned upside down Not to mention the fact that Blaze sounded nothing like Bruce, which is really what Steve Harris wanted. When you hear recordings of Blaze singing live songs that he originally sung on, he sounds great. But when you hear him doing The Trooper, Heaven Can Wait, or The Evil That Men Do, it's a lot harder for him, although he did a good job on them with his range. Another thing was that Steve Harris, the band's primary songwriter, was going through a divorce. And it definitely showed in his writing, so when Maiden came out with their first non-Bruce Dickinson album in well over a decade, it didn't sound a lot like Iron Maiden anymore. After the X-Factor, when Iron Maiden came out with Virtual Eleven, you could tell that the band had turned the corner and survived the X-Factor. When you hear the beginning of Future Real, it sounds like something that could have been off of the number of the Beast. It's very aggressive and sounds great. Unfortunately for Iron Maiden, with a bad choice of the album's single, their fans still weren't really around, and without Bruce Dickinson, who was off doing his own solo albums the album did not take off the way they had hoped for. As I said before, Future Real jumps right out of the gate with a driving beat and a nice solo line and gets the album off to a great start. The song was written by Steve Harris and Blaze Bailey. This song is a barn burner and it feels like it's over just as quickly as it started. Immediately, we hear that maiden gallop back again. The song has a cool verse and chorus and a nice guitar solo by Dave Murray.
1: It feels like a game of deadly high machine And when you're reading this then I will be gone Maybe then you will see Do you believe what you hear? Can you believe what you see? Do you believe what you feel?
0: song, clocking in at less than three minutes is the shortest Maiden song with vocals since Wrathchild. The album clocks in at 53 minutes and 22 seconds. So with eight songs, that's an average of six minutes and 45 seconds per song. Yet the first song is less than three minutes. If you removed Future Reel from the album, each song would average about seven minutes and 20 seconds. The era of the longer Maiden song was in full swing by now. Up next is the single from the album, written by Steve Harris, The Angel and the Gambler. Using this as the single is something that, in my opinion, definitely would have hurt momentum for the album. Had the band instead used Future Real, I think it would have given the fans hope for where the album was going. People could have seen that the band was back in a familiar territory. However, by releasing a song that's over nine minutes long and features kind of a goofy sounding keyboard in it, I can only imagine how I would have felt had I heard this back then. sure I wouldn't have made it all the way through and I wouldn't have kept listening to the album. Kind of a narrow view to have, but I honestly think that's what would have happened. So what would I think now? When I listen to it with headphones on, I don't think the song sounds as bad as its reputation that precedes it. The verses are great, honestly, as is the pre-chorus. Do
1: you feel lucky? Or do you feel Take one my breath? What will the next day bring i drift out the ocean A float in a daydream A lost in a maze A blind in the haze
0: But where we find trouble here is in the chorus. The chorus that repeats a lot during the song.
1: Don't you think I'm a savior Don't you think I'm a savior Save you? Don't you think I could save your life? Don't you think I'm a savior? Don't you think I could save you? Don't you think I could save your life? Don't you think I'm a savior? Don't you think I could save you? Don't you think I could save you?
0: biggest complaint about this song is that it could be shorter.
1: Don't you think I could
0: save your life? This song could easily have three to five minutes shaved off of it.
1: Don't you think I'm a savior? Don't you think I could save you? Don't you think I could save your life? Mm. Don't you think I'm a savior? Don't you think I could save you? Save your life Don't you think i am a savior Don't you think I could save you? Don't you think I could save your life? Don't you think I'ma save Don't you think I could save you? Don't you
0: think I could save your life? Close to four minutes in and the song has a very quiet breakdown where their chorus is repeated multiple times. It builds up and there are a couple of nice guitar solos. That they repeat the chorus so many times really takes away from the song being too enjoyable. said, I don't hate the song, but I'm just giving the facts as I see them. It's funny to me that they use this as a single.
1: Don't you think-
0: if I'm the only one that ever thinks this, but with so many bands, I just wonder why did you choose this song as the single? It seems that so many bands have released songs that aren't nearly the best or even the most accessible on an album. That said, I did see a quote from manager Rod Smallwood where he claims that he had a bit of a battle with Steve over releasing Future Real instead of The Angel and the Gambler. But Steve put his foot down. So I guess that's that. Lastly, I added up the amount of time in this song where they actually say the chorus. Don't you think I'm a savior? Don't you think I could save you? Don't you think I could save your life? And it adds up to about four minutes worth of time. Okay, track three on the album is Lightning Strikes Twice. The song kicks off with a really sweet Dave Murray guitar line. Blaze comes in after that and then the song kicks in. The song weaves in between the light and heavy until it kicks into overdrive about a minute and 55 seconds in. are good and then the pre-chorus is even better.
1: I'm a sway and rust in the bleeds. Plenty of time to proceed i should wait for rain to fall. Holy God knows the sky
0: And then the chorus is great. I used to not like it, but man, I love it now. I love the melody on the chorus and how the guitar is playing along with the vocal. It's so great. Maybe they overdo the chorus a bit here, but I don't tire of it at all. Actually, you could go back and listen to a lot of older Maiden songs and find choruses being abused by overuse. But I think at this point in their career, people were just looking for ways to criticize the band. And a big reason was because Blaze was there. Next up is the song that everyone knows from this album because of its inclusion on the rock in Rio when Bruce came back. The Klansman and not with a K, as Bruce would say. This is a nine-minute epic, and it is killer. This is, for me, the first song that I heard from this album for the reason I just listed, Rockin' Rio. It starts off with a trademark guitar line that everyone in the crowd can sing along with. The bass starts to direct the song at about 50 seconds or so, along with the guitar giving us some melody. Our mimics Blaze when he's singing multiple lines during the song and it's so great. There is a great breakdown where Blaze sings and the crowd can really get into it as heard on Rock and Rio with Bruce. a song that should never come out of the set list. It should be done at every show. It is such a great crowd song.
1: No, we can't let them take anymore. No, we can't let them take anymore. No, we can't let them take anymore. With the land of the free.
0: Epic as the song is, it does seem to me like it would have been more fitting as a closing track. Kind of like old times. All right. Well, Side one is over, and so is this episode. Keep an eye out for side two, which will be coming to you in the not-too-distant future. So good night from Iron Maiden, from Eddie, and from the boys. And like I said before, I think Bruce says it better. Wait, I know he says it better.
2: You must always face the curtain with a bow. Forget about your scene. Give the audience a grin. Enjoy it; it's your last chance, and yeah. So
1: always look on the bright side of death.